Let me just start something here. I'll just time it roughly. We're on. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, hello and welcome to Coffee Science Guru, the Seven Miles podcast dedicated to all things coffee. Um, today, as usual, we have Josh Bowen, the coffee. Hello. Um, hi. We have, yes, hi. Hi, Josh. Um, we have Julian, uh, our guru. Hi. Mm, hi, Julian. And uh, myself, Adam, the science or the, the scientist. Um, how's it going, guys? Uh, very well. Mm. It's, um, it's like my second last day before I go on holidays. No. Where so, are you going? Uh, nowhere and then Japan and then back nowhere and then Japan to stay yeah. home and then back to work oh, very good very good in that order and things go on the roastery Julian how's the roastery going uh, well I'm hardly thinking about the roastery at the moment because of course I've got a wedding to plan uh, and uh, <laughs> various anniversaries and birthdays between now and the 30th of December but uh, you're being Christmas near yeah. as far as my are you getting married again was once not enough <laughs> <laughs> some might say it was once too many it wasn't me <laughs> but she's still with me uh, <laughs> very good Good. Uh, very nice. Yeah, things are busy around here around um, Christmas time. Lots of orders going out. We've got new yeah. single origins have just sort of released. We've got a funky controlled ferment. Yeah. Did a public cupping last night. Mm. Tried this month's origins and next month's single origins. Um, and they were all real good. Oh, nice. Which real one's doing Oh, that's right. You said there was one particular standout. Yeah, the Burundi Kalimbi. How would you rate that compared to the Lacerda Microlot? The that's the Brazil. Um, yeah, that's right. That's a controlled ferment very one. Very different. Yep. I think I would, um, in a, uh, the Brazil definitely the more interesting, hmm. but the Burundi definitely the more well-rounded. Kind mm. of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, just, when I was tasting the uh, the Burundi last week uh, in in quality control, yeah, I did remark and I wrote it down on the on, on the on the paper for the day, which is unusual for me that I thought it was particularly nice. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Okay, yeah, so yeah. maybe I should get a few more bags. Yes. Uh, kudos to I can't remember where I got it from. <laughs> I mean Burundi, but yeah. <laughs> kudos, <laughs> a, kudos to the people. Who kudos to the people. Grew yeah. It and yeah. Grew it, selected it, chose it, brought it back over here. Really appreciate. Well, that. I mean, like all good coffee growing countries, it is called a very dangerous country as mm, well. The yeah. two tend to go hand hand in hand that's right to say but it's, uh, well, it's kind of the same with crude oil too although i wouldn't necessarily call crude oil particularly tasty or no good no parts of it is it all right <laughs> yeah that's interesting it's one of those funny ones again i don't know if we talked about this before here we talked about the relationship between price and quality um you can get amazingly good cheaper coffees and then you can get some dud expensive ones not that any of the ones that we have there are duds i mean they've gone yeah. through a pretty stringent selection process and roasting curve development and you know all that yeah. other kind of thing it's when people ask for australian grown coffee and then maybe undiplomatically i tell them that it's probably not worth their time <laughs> yeah well i mean that's that's it so yeah so we're talking about a controlled ferment coffee um one of the things that's sort of big in the moment in the industry i guess maybe one might call it if you really want to really want to, i don't want to delve into this too much more fourth wave yeah um josh hates waves i don't mind waves julian what are you no, julian well wave. i'm a wave man being being an ex-naval fellow <laughs> <laughs> but you overcome waves <laughs> we get swept away by them um yeah so i mean we talk about you know control fermentation and eventually the conversation comes back to do science obviously something that i'm now passionate about trained in yeah um and i think today's podcast really wanted to discuss 
I guess, coffee science, but I guess maybe issues around coffee science, um, maybe how it's done, maybe how it shouldn't be done, yeah. um, some of the things that have happened and, you know, I guess, yeah. you know. This, this being the first podcast of 2019 for us. Not anyway. for us. Yes. Yeah. yes I we think will. it's good to, like, look ahead, see how things are going to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really key. Maybe um, that can be our New Year's resolution. What? Constant change. Constant change. For the better. See, I don't know about that, Julian. <laughs> well, You've seen a lot of change. To, I, I was about to leap in here and say, well, of course, we're going to talk about change. You've got to talk about the past as well. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, for instance, just a single thought on this uh, in a way is, I mean, I, I make coffee at home quite frequently in a saucepan. Hmm. Uh, and, and with a plunger at hand, I fill up a plunger, I pour in cold water into the saucepan, put on coffee and uh, put it on to a medium heat and allow it to gradually come to near boiling point. That There is a very simple technological science scientific uh, sort of uh, aspect of coffee which is it's it's what i call that reverse temperature profiling can we call that <laughs> can we put, trademark that right now yeah and then you move to one of my favorite methods which is the, the technivore mocker master which mm. has now been around virtually unchanged for about mm. 40 years mm. and i've personally been using that and selling it as, as a uh, as an item for you know the, the trade and so on for all that time yeah. uh, and that relies upon a very precise uh, invention of of the way in which water is heated and then ejected heated again mm. ejected again over a period of three four minutes in order yeah. to produce actually an extremely reliable temperature control cup of coffee so, yeah so I, are you saying are you saying that um science and technology has existed since before 2010 in coffee oh and you know and that moves then of course in, yeah. in, into the modern and the future with regard to all the fabulous uh, controls that we've now got on the, the mm. espresso machines in particular but yeah. other methods yeah. as well uh which have probably still got a bit of a way to go yeah yeah it's an interesting one when I read all these different things on the inter interwebs, the electronic internodes, internets, however you want to put The interwebbing. The interwebbings. Um, are, I think how many people are going out there and actually saying, hey, here's some new kind of scientific principle or a scientific principle by which we're going to try this new thing. Yeah. And I wonder how much of the time are people just trying to reinvent the wheel? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the old adage been. was, you know, to boil is to spoil. Mm. And that is true today, just as it was before. I mean, if you, once you boil coffee, um, Adam, I'm sure can elucidate on this, you, you, the coffee undergoes a dramatic chemical change mm. at the moment of boiling, after which is virtually undrinkable. Well, you begin to do a thing what is known as uh, steam reforming, where you start to do a whole bunch of different organic reactions um, that occur in the vapor phase between vapor and salt <laughs> phase. But, um, I mean, I, I, will, I, I will preface that by saying I don't know precisely what exactly happens, but that's uh, steam. Mm is very different material well it's water in a very different state to water in its liquid form yes. and has different properties and can interact in a very different way huge amount of energetic energetic changes going on huge yeah i'm wondering if we need to do a whole <laughs> huge immense a whole podcast series on water oh i could do it it's a three-parter oh i'd love it yeah well that's what my doctorate was on yeah kind exactly of, kind yeah. of i had to do a lot about water yeah. My high pressure, doing? high temperature. High pressure, high temperature water, that's right. Steam, not as much, but I did have to touch on that, yeah. as you normally do. I think one of the other things is going back through, you know, a lot of people doing things. So, for example, I've seen articles out there on um, Maillard reactions. Right. Um, what was the Maillard reaction influence on, uh, you know, so they wanted to change roasting conditions to measure how it affected the Maillard reaction. Um, you know, having a chemical engineering background, it's one of those ones I kind of know how one might start going about doing that kind of chemical analysis. But I think in this case, they were looking at the changes in flavor in a cup. Yeah. Um, with changes in, in roasting conditions. Yeah, which is hard to be objective. Well, it's hard to be objective, but it's hard to control. Yeah. I mean, you know, roasting 
devices are, you know, they're designed to be pretty well controlled to roast a bean, but it's yeah. not a precise scientific instrument. You don't have a not hermetically sealed they don't look at balancing pressures in the atmosphere they don't control for humidity necessarily yeah. some probably and do neither is an um, espresso machine no or a batch yeah. brewer. and then you think about it you're analyzing it in taste and you think how many degrees of separation are there between a roaster yeah. and your tongue yeah, yeah. Well, that's i suppose part of the reason why we still have a professional coffee roasting person mm. uh, yeah. you know, at the machine at all times to to make sure that uh, all those uh, wonderful uh, electronic and other gizmos that are incorporated into the roasting process are actually doing their job well, yeah. it's also why you also do things by colour, Julian. I mean, every day, I mean, you're doing colour measurements, right? I mean, that's the pr- really first is. and primary yeah. way of being able to detect whether there's a changing roasting condition. You know, like Pete and Mike have been there for 15 years. Yeah. They look at a roast and they can say, oh, it's a bit, bit too dark at this point in the in the curve. Yeah, so for those direct- who don't know much about roasting, a lot of places will have a target colour for their roasted coffee. Mm. So they'll... Um, Roast it till it tastes good, do some trial blends, pick the one or trial roast, see which one tastes the best, and then yes. check the color for that, yes. and then you can roast towards that target. Yes. So, because you can't just roast and then brew and then try every single thing mm. that you roast, you pick a color target, which is going to be a lot more consistent and, mm. and accurate than the human eye. Yes. And then that way you know that if something changes and you get a different color number, then something has gone wrong and then you can work backwards and taste it and then this is this um, is yeah this is our science in production yeah Yeah, and i mean all that of course is also related to the quantity of coffee that you're roasting at any one time yes five kilos ten kilos 100 200 yeah and and uh you know that those quantities will affect the the way in which you balance out the aspects of roasting yeah obviously including things like the temperature and the time involved and the Mm. computerization Mm. in order to produce the correct result yeah Mm. for sure yeah Mm. different different origins come out at different colors or like change color yeah you like you can't just base everything off of one thing yeah oh it's, it's it's multiple aspects here and i think that's the thing when i'll go back to the article that i was reading you know, I think they were—they had a lot of graphs that were sort of they were putting up there and looking at, you know, variations. I believe in—I can't even remember if they even did touchable acidity, which is a kind of dubious method, I think, actually, and applied to coffee. But um, can you go into touchable acidity? Touchable acidity. Okay, so um, a titration in its core essence is effectively the point at which a solution is neutralized. Um, so what you do is you drip. You normally have a an acid or a base, dripping it into either an acid or a base solution. You effectively mm. have a little indicator in there that determines at what point pH becomes one a target, say neutral, yeah. pH 7. You have an indicator that will change colour at that time. Um, this is you know, this is a very basic kind of titration. Yeah. So at that point you can determine how much chemical of one you've had to add to another um, to balance out that acidity. So you can measure the exact amount of acidity or alkalinity of a solution based yeah. on how much you know, measured amount in moles or milliliters initially um, that you've calibrated um, to determine the precise pH, I suppose, yeah. concentration of exact hydrogen or hydroxide or whatever it happens to be. Sure. That's touchable acidity. And that's the thing. Touchable acidity, I believe there are a few papers out there. And I think it's, I think it's, I don't know if it's conclusive, actually. I'm just trying to think. I've read different papers that say different things as to whether it actually, you know, the, the acidity you detect on your tongue is there a correlation between that and titrable acidity? And I believe that there is not. Mm. Oh, right. So the pH of a solution, I mean, all coffee is acid in truth. Yeah. Acidic, I should say. Um, but it doesn't necessarily, I mean, you know, the, the, the chemistry and the taste aren't necessarily linked. Um, I think they are, but they're not, <clears throat> not necessarily in that measured way. 
and I think that's been one of the challenges I've had coming into coffee actually pretty quick is that you can do a whole lot of chemical analyses and a whole lot of different things but it won't necessarily tell you whether it tastes good no well that's so subjective anyway <laughs> that is subjective too yeah what well, is good yeah matt did the article that came out not too long ago about acids in coffee mm, can we detect um, them yeah because yeah, for the longest time when you do your q grader certification um and even in like sensory skills and sensory classes you'll try different acids in coffee and in water to be like, oh, okay, so now you can better identify flavors in coffee. Um, but we kind of put that to the test and found, at least in our experiments, that you can't really detect what kind of acid is in the coffee. Yeah, that's right. So one of the cool, yeah, one of the cool things that we found actually is that you can detect. There are two acids that we can generally detect you know pure acid in water i think we could identify citric acid yep. by taste and acetic acid by um uh, smell by smell, aroma yeah, vinegar yep but when i believe i've got to double check this but i when you put these acids spike acids in coffee you can still do that you can detect the citric acid but it's a wash as to whether you can detect anything else it's actually interesting you can't detect vinegar anymore or yep. acetic acid I think the, the the pungent aroma of coffee just overpowers it, or whatever happens in there, the balance is completely thrown off for your nose. Um, wow! And I wonder if that's actually, in some reasons, why in perfume shops you could, you know, they give that to you to reset your yeah the neutral point. Yeah, like the you neutral. smell the coffee. Yeah, you smell the coffee. something new. Well, they would if they actually replaced the coffee beans every day. Like <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> now we're getting into coffee freshness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back, back to freshness. It's all so uh, Which we did some science on not so long ago. Mm-hmm. By the way, you can read about that inside our blog. Yeah, and listen um, to the podcast that came out before this one. That's yes. right, exactly. We talked about. Well, I mean, it's certainly true that in terms of bad smells, I mean, the best thing you can possibly do is to take uh, coffee beans, grind them up, put them into a uh, frying pan, heat them almost to the point where they're burning, and then uh, then wander around the house. It's the same with onion, onion and garlic, right? You, if you want people to be impressed by your cooking, you just throw onion and garlic in the pan, and everyone's like, "Ooh, what's that?" Yeah, yeah I've already yeah, heard of best not to eat it, of course, because that tends yeah, to not by itself. Too quickly. <laughs> yeah. As long as everyone eats it, it's fine. Uh, mm. <laughs> but I think one of the things, you know, coming onto that, so I, I'm like, you know, reading all these things sort of online and reading all these different things. I mean, it's pretty clear that science and coffee, you know, people love their science and coffee. And I think, you know, the heart behind it is people want to get coffee perfection. Uh, should that be able to be achieved? Um, mm. And I think they feel, we, I guess most of us would feel that, you know, doing these things in a scientific manner are the ways about going about how you would determine when you've hit the peak, I guess, extraction, balance, flavor, profile, yeah. whatever you want to describe. Uh, of a perfect coffee if one might call it that i don't think any coffee is ever going to be perfect yeah um i I wonder um you know like espresso is popular at the moment and has been for a little while Mm. here at least and then in different countries espresso is becoming more popular after not being Mm. well drunk Mm. at all um and when you say well drunk what do you mean <laughs> uh, <laughs> drunk a lot, yeah. Uh, consumed significant, uh, yes. significant quantities. Consumed, that's a good word. Consumed. Yeah. Um, where we've kind of seen manual pour overs be the only way to make coffee, and then disappear because technology came in, and then they've made a resurgence in specialty coffee. So I wonder if after we put all this effort into espresso, someone's going to come up with a better way of drinking coffee that isn't so tumultuous. Um, 
at least changes significantly with um, more time know. consuming or labor intensive or all those yes. things yeah. espresso then espresso yeah or something that makes coffee taste <laughs> completely different or yeah is more consistent or well when they do i'd like to be the first one to test that machine yeah um for sure if they and well determine what it is you know that's actually part of what we do here you know that's why i came in so you've been uh, here for just over a year adam just over a year yes yes so i started um well when i came in didn't quite start it then but um, very quickly it became clear that it'd be worthwhile setting up a coffee science and education center um so i now manage that um and one of the things that we do is we test a whole bunch of machines we do a bunch of uh research both with universities uh and internally um with a bunch of the pallets that are available to us uh, in the seven miles company um, you know, a lot of what I try and do is apart from, I wouldn't say myth busting, but I think clarifying whether something works or doesn't work uh, in the way that it is advertised. And that can be both machines. Um, you know, for example, we looked at the Ephesus Cameo. It's, it claimed that it could, um, you know, dial itself into a recipe, which, by the way, it can. Yeah. Um, that was quite impressive. And we uh, quantified how long it took to do After that. you put the recipe in. After, yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing. It, I mean, your machine, recipe, it doesn't come can, up with its yeah, own. That's right. Machines can't taste. I mean, that's how you come up with recipes in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly true that, that coffee can be as simple or as complicated as you mm-hmm. like to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Vis, vis the cold water and the saucepan versus the yes. uh, you know, fully volumetric and uh, yep. so on espresso machine. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Scales and mass. Yes, yeah, scales and Both can make great coffee. Absolutely. And that's the other thing. You know, what makes great coffee is actually in the mind, on the tongue. Yeah, of, of the, the taster of the beholder yeah and as I said you know, that's one of the things I've had to learn very quickly is you know, you know, chemical analysis I mean some of the best and most effective analysis in coffee has to be simply done with a panel of tasters um, you know it's we come up with a set of scales I mean that's the thing we have to calibrate tasters we also have to you know come up with a set of scales I honestly think science in truth is a, effectively a, a <laughs> plenty of people probably argue with this but I think at its core is a trial and error type system uh, and putting things in a way that can be repeated um, so why do we care about numbers in science? Why do we use them so frequently? Well, it's because numbers can be verified, numbers can be tested. I mean, for example, if I tasted a coffee, so that tastes like chocolate, and I think so, therefore it is. It's like, well, Josh next to me might say, no, it's not quite chocolate. Yeah, that might that actually tastes more hazelnut than chocolate. In fact, I don't taste chocolate at all. Yeah, or you haven't told me how you've gotten to that flavour, yeah. so I can't test your theory. Yeah. Or your results against yeah. something else. I right. have to do it's unverifiable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. When you get a panel of tasters, it's got to be in some ways against a series of arbitrary values. So. Well, yes, because all those palettes are going to have a different opinion, so yes. to speak, yeah. in the end anyway. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the thing. What is representative needs to be repeated. So that's the thing. We always publish the methods that we have, or at least they're readily available, and the numbers that we have are generally... Well, and a lot of the numbers we have are averages. <laughs> so we get a whole bunch of people. Um, we assign a scale, say, you know, zero being the worst, five being the best in terms of quality. We generally use a typical, I guess, one would, would it call it traditional, is it, Julian, where you've got acidity, sweetness, aftertaste, balance? I think so, yes. There are yes. about there's six qualities that, you know, would, could be used to describe any coffee. Um, and generally when it comes to tasting, for at least for our CSEC using uh, yeah. coffee science education, we just assign a number zero and five, um, you know, ask everyone what do they think between that, and then we graph that put it against a number and see how it varies with a change in something so for example in the lever we could vary pre-infusion time 
Yeah, that's the Lamazocco lever. The Lamazocco lever machine, the lever X, L- the uh, LEV, yeah. um, you know, lever machine. For yeah, the well, there's world. no doubt that yeah. in my mind that, that the most uh, complicated and most difficult to repeat and replicate system of coffee making is the espresso machine. Mm, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. And so that's the thing. We always have to quantify the variation that we obtain, both within tasters. And that's the thing. Is the variation because of the taster or is it because of the machine, Julian? Mm. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question as well. And I think we, we've been able to do that with some machines. The lever is actually quite consistent, by the way. Yeah, um, surprisingly. Yeah, surprised a lot of people. Your yeah. newfangled lever as opposed to my old fangled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the 1960s version here, Julian. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we're talking about. No. Yeah. The one with the um, LCD screens. Yeah. And the yeah, well, it was certainly impressive to look at it being operated by someone as professional yeah. as Adam. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I tried my best to look professional. Well, I always quite, wear a college shirt. You got shirt. quite good at it after about a fortnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't spill any coffee on me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We varied pre-infusion time, like, you know, one, two, five, seven, and ten seconds, and then we got a number of tasters and we put a number against that set of scales and we could say okay well can't tell a whole lot about a whole thing but hey get look at this sweetness changed by a factor of three within a you know seven second infusion window yeah and so you would actually map that and then someone can go away if they really want to and test that and say okay if we use that same set of scales we use that same machine we do this and that we should be able to repeat that and that's what i try and do i think in a lot of my testing here um it's not i say it's not really rocket science um, it's just being rigorous and disciplined in the way that you record data. It's effectively mm. an accounting system. And that's why numbers, right? I mean, otherwise, yeah, quantitative is there to be tested. Um, I can talk all day about scaling <laughs> and things like that as well. I'm not talking about scaling yeah. in the machine. That's a subject for... Yeah, if, if this wasn't <laughs> an audio format, there'd just be a bunch of graphs flashing up in people's faces. Which so. is why we decided to keep this audio. Yeah. <laughs> because I'd go get too carried away with my lines and Adam loves points a good of graph. data. And, oh, gosh, they're so good. <laughs> um, it's there to determine trends, my friends. Yeah. And that rhymes. Um, good. So, I mean, just moving on, just thinking about, I don't know, one of the questions are sort of been thrown out. I mean, how can we do science in the ordinary setting? Can you know any person do science? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. As Jess, Josh said, it's a rhetorical the, question. It was a rhetorical question, yes. but yeah. you said yes. Hey, can you answer a rhetorical <laughs> question? Yes. Yes, you can. Yes. Can one? Um, and Josh, I think it was right. I mean, you know, people can do it. I think it's just a matter of being able to write down, you know determine a set of scales and measure something against it and repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah, I think baristas do it on the daily. Like they do. Good yes. baristas do it on the daily. They um, check their grind size and they write down espresso recipes or mm-hmm. filter recipes and they get other people to brew them and you taste things together, usually with one or more baristas and you come up with sort of, uh, I would hope, a consensus between tasting notes and um, other people like... Some baristas might prefer a stronger coffee and some might prefer a, um, a, a lighter coffee or something, but you're always kind of working together to mm. get a consistent product. Which, of course, is where you come back to the you know the, the, the whole question of the barista and so on. I, I have members of my family who go to uh, certain cafes on a regular basis and uh, if they see a particular barista behind the machine, they will stop and buy one. And if they see somebody else, yes, they will right. move on. Yeah, yeah, the yet, greatest you know, fear of the cafe you know, owner. Yeah, it is. The coffee beans and the machine and the atmosphere, all exactly the same. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you put uh, that, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, equation of the barista mm. in, in play, then... And uh, yeah. you've got a different set of Yeah, exactly. I and mean, that's, I think, it. I mean, that's where you want science to be there. You're this, yeah. you know, science is effectively the, the consistency and quality. They know what the quality is, how to get that quality through repetition, through experimentation. Mm. And yeah. then, you know. Not, not to plug Matt again for another article that he wrote 
but he's not here, so he can't get a big head about it. Um, oh, he can. He wrote an article, uh, I think, November 30th, 2016. I'm glad I had all these up ready, um, about the disparity of coffee flavor mm. and how in his experience he's had, when he's started work at a new cafe, um, people have been reluctant to drink his coffee and then after a little while, they get to know him a bit better and they learn his personality and his sense of humor and mm. they start to like him and then they drink his coffee and no one, like people kind of stop complaining. Um, but I think he mentioned specifically him and the other barista who worked full time there um, telling the customers that they were going to, one of them was going to make the coffee and then getting the other person to make it and then asking the customer what they thought. And if they thought that their favorite barista made the coffee, they would say it was great. And then when they heard that it was their other barista making it, they'd be very surprised. So um, the old placebo effect is... is yeah, great, it's, yeah, it's alive and well. It's yeah. just alive and kicking. A lot of the time you've got two baristas on a coffee machine, especially if it's busy in the morning. So then you've got one person sort of doing milk who might be forward-facing, who isn't really in control of the coffee flavor. And then the person behind is doing the shots and controlling consistency and quality. Um, but you don't see that person hiding behind the other barista. So there can be mm. a, you think that the one at the front is making the good coffee or the bad Whoa. coffee, but it's the one <laughs> at the back, the one that you aren't looking at, the one who doesn't say hello when you walk in because they're doing shots and shots and shots and shots. Just makes you wonder again, I don't want to keep coming back to automation in these things, but it's one yeah. of those ones where eventually if there's only one barista who knows your name, you like the person, and then you've got machines basically helping them make the coffee throughout the whole steps. I mean, still, yeah. you know, crafting that artisan beverage, you know, the reality is most machines are automated these days anyway. I mean, let's yeah. be frank, it's a push button. You don't hand crank a pump. No. Um, but, uh, you know, I wonder if that would um, actually improve customer experience simply from a taste perspective they're the person yeah. they like behind the bar and they're doing the coffee and everyone else is there with a big smile on their face or at least i don't know yeah it's an interesting thing about barista competitions as well it's oh, like barista competitions service scores over taste scores and then yeah the quality of the coffee and how expensive it is comes into play and yeah yeah. yeah, but that's yeah. another podcast. Yeah. yeah, maybe we can talk about Bristol <laughs> competitions. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little about in this one, but I think maybe we've already glossed over exactly what we want to talk about. So yeah, possibly. Yeah, possible. Um, how, how how can the average barista um, be a bit more scientific if they want to? Well, I think it was interesting. It's a good question, actually. And sort of remembering back to when I was up in Queensland, there was a you know wonderful. Um, young barista who was trying to determine the effects of water quality on uh, the espresso being extracted in, in her machine. Um, and I said, oh, that's all very interesting. Uh, how have you gone about mapping one to the other? And she asked, you know, what do you mean? I said, well, have you actually written down the results? Did you, you know, for example, you probably increased the amount of, for example, put a bit of Epsom salt or put some sodium bicarbonate in there or whatever she did. I think she did probably both of those things. Yep. And I said, no, so how much did you add? And did you write down the flavor notes? Oh, no. I was like, well, how do you know if you're going to have any change? You know, this is actually quite a complex business, changing yeah. water um, to try and get different flavors out. And you're at, you are noticing a difference, as indeed you should. And in fact, the recent research we had of UNSW, uh, that's the University of New South Wales, um, showed that, um, or we quantified it. Um, and I just said, look, I think, you know, the advice I would give you is write down what you did, put the numbers down that you changed, and exactly how many milligrams of salt did you add into how many mils of water, um, write down the flavor notes, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it again, then change it and repeat it, repeat it, repeat it again. Get a number until you can actually understand precisely what it is you're changing. Which and what is the, elementary science? It is, and that's science in its purest form. And that's the thing, you just, you're still using your sensory feedback. I mean, the greatest tool you actually have for coffee, 
that I learned very quickly and that I would still believe to this day is your taste buds, your sense of taste. Um, that ultimately determines how good a coffee is. I mean, we've done GCMS, which is gas chromatography with mass spectrometry, all these <laughs> funky techniques on measuring chemistry, and they're very good at that. They measure mm. chemistry, but it doesn't necessarily measure taste. Um, and I would say the best tool that you have to do science is your taste buds. Yeah. Um, there are other things like refractometers and things like that, but again, that doesn't tell you taste. It is a correlation, and we can talk about <laughs> yeah, that. I have thoughts on refractometers. Yeah, how long do we want this to be? Yeah, I don't want to go too much longer <laughs> on that. Um, but, uh, you know, talk to me. Like, yeah, it ask could a be question. a single-person podcast lasting about 24 hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was me, yeah. Put me that <laughs> yeah. and then followed by water. You got yeah. yourself a whole year's <laughs> yeah. worth of stuff. Uh, um, I could do water. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, we could do it. Spend my whole holiday editing, or, um, yeah, editing garage band Maybe a Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> the 12, 12 hours of Christmas yeah. with water and Adam. Yeah, yeah you can set up. <laughs> and Adam, I should say. I'll, I'll be on a plane and you can set up. <laughs> you can start put you to sleep. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, Have some more caffeine. Keep you up. Listen. Cool. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Get get some scales. Get a kitchen timer. Um, mm. Try to make everything consistent and then change one thing. Yeah. At a time. Absolutely. And then and write down your results and then change it the other mm. way. And then change something else. I mean, there are plenty of examples of this of this on our um, on our blog. If you want, feel free to use the scales that we use. Feel free, when I say scales, I mean both mass scales, but also yeah. you know we use you know the scales for determining tastes and other things like that. Feel free to modify them, adapt them to your heart's content. I would recommend it. Um, or if you've got something better, let us know. Yeah. Um, and which brings us, I guess, to the, the conclusion here. I think you know if you have any questions or comments, um, suggestions, recommendations, feel free to email us yep. at um, podcast at sevenmiles.com.au. Please do. Um, no one has emailed yet. No. No. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> well, maybe they're clear. The podcasts are clear enough. <laughs> that's good. Um, or um, again, if you have more queries about a whole bunch of things that we already talked to, there are a couple of identified blog posts on content that was on here. Feel free to read more about that on yeah, the editorial. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try months. to link all the ones that we mentioned. Um, and if we have the science ones, the ones that you were talking about earlier, I'll try to get links for those as well. Yeah, no, very good. Now, there are plenty more coming. We've already got a few coming yeah. up here in the next couple of months. So Yeah. Very good. Good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to say quickly as well, um, we've been releasing these every Tuesday fortnight mm -hmm. um, at sort of like 12 a.m. because usually I get them done before the day they go up. You work late? Um, no. No. You, I can actually set the time that it goes up, so which is cool. Automate um, the fact that you might be working late. So, yeah, so every <laughs> Tuesday, so... This will come out on the 1st of January, and then the next one will be two weeks on the Tuesday from that one, assuming nothing goes wrong. Mm. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out in your feeds for that. Very good. Um, and, yeah, well, thanks check out social, check out the website. Very check good. Out the editorial. Yeah, once again, it's Coffee Science Guru with uh, Julian, Josh, and Adam. Um, have a fantastic new year. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.